0: Well, good morning, Holy City Church. Good morning, good morning. All right, there we go, there we go. All right, if you will, please stand for today's reading of the yes, scripture. Sir. We will be reading uh, two separate books today in Exodus and Luke, um, so bear with me; we'll take a little bit of time. Uh, I didn't tell first service this, but Exodus, this um, this verse is one that brings back memories. Um, when I read this, I vision a cucumber bearded up from VeggieTales. So if anybody, if anybody, you know, was there with me, come on now. (laughs) So if you will, Exodus 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name and what should I tell them? The God God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. All right, now for Luke 1, we're going to read verse 68 to 75. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. You may be seated.
1: Right. thank you, Jordan. Well, man, I'm glad you're here today, everybody, coming to church, uh, packed house. It's always uh, good to be together. Um, Before we jump into the message, let me just say, I know they mentioned it before, but we are giving everybody a free copy of Deep Change today. Uh, I'm going to assume that's why it's really packed today. I'm going to assume that it was for the book, right? Um, But you know, if you've ever had, if you've ever created a project, if you ever had a creative project or worked on something or whatever, you know, there's this massive tension of you wouldn't do it if you didn't believe in it. But at the same time, you know, like you're afraid to be proud of it. You know what I mean? Like if you you know what I mean, if you've ever done something creative, but um, for the last two years, really, I mean, writing it for a year, but spending two years kind of in it uh, researching and all that stuff, just been working on this project. You, you've heard a lot of it, you know, just coming out in different sermons and stuff, but just putting it all together. And it's really more than just a book for us, it's kind of our strategy as a church and our elders have, have been through this material and uh, a lot of our leaders, and then now we're, we're doing a class that that uh, we're, we're leading. And um, But my passion and my heart behind this idea of deep change is I want you and as many people as possible to be able to experience a relationship with God that has like real quality and real depth to it, something really meaningful. I'm so sick and tired of meeting underwhelmed Christians. And, um, and I know what that feels like personally, but I want people to be able to experience God, a relationship with Jesus in a way that actually affects our day-to-day life. Um, when our kids are annoying, you know, or when something good happens in our life or when our boss is mean to us or when we have car trouble or, I mean, just pick any scenario. Like, is it possible to know God in a in such a personal way that every part of my life, like him and I, uh, have this relationship? So anyway, that's what it's about, experiencing spiritual death in the shallow world. We want you to have a copy uh, if you're here today. It's yours. It's our gift. If you want more, you can pick some up at the bookstore. Um, but... Thank you for for taking that and reading it, and if it helps you, I'd love to know about it, okay? Okay, so uh, we started a series last week uh, just called Exodus, based on the book of Exodus. We're in part two this week, and we're just taking the fall to study this Old Testament book, and I don't have time to recap everything from last week. Uh, I would would encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't, but I do want to just take a little bit of time to remind you why we are studying this story. The word exodus uh, means escape or a way out or exit, and and that's what we're reading about, God's people who escape their captivity in Egypt. It's a very famous story, but it's not only about them getting out, it's also about learning how we get out, how we have our own exodus, because at some point, every Christian has to leave their old life behind. Please hear that. At some point, every Christian has to leave their old life behind. It's more than just being saved. It's more than just being a Christian. And yeah, you're going to be in heaven. And that's awesome. And that, no, like literally, I mean legitimately, not literally, legitimately, that's awesome. But you can have some of heaven now. You don't have to live a miserable life until you get to heaven, but it requires you to have your own exodus, to leave your old life behind and And so Exodus is this great metaphor of our own spiritual journey to freedom, living in freedom, coming out of uh, our own version of Egypt. And last week, we learned about a covenant. Everybody say covenant. Covenant. We learned about a covenant. A covenant's like a promise, but it's better than a promise. And God made a covenant, and we actually defined covenant from the children's Bible, and I loved it. Uh, Definition of a covenant is a never-ending covenant. Never giving up, never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever promise. And that's what God made to a man named Abraham in the book of Genesis. Um, Three different times he showed up and he made this covenant with Abraham. And there's some great promises in there about his family tree and the land. But the most important thing, the promise that God made to Abraham, covenant that God made to Abraham, is he said, Your family, Abraham, I'm going to be their God. I'm going to be their God. And that was a big statement. Because up until that point, God had never claimed people as his own people. But now he was saying, Abraham, your family, that's gonna be my people. And what he meant was that he would always be committed to them. Even when they weren't committed to him, what you've ever read the Old Testament is like every page. Even when they aren't committed to him, he would stay committed to them. And the question that we, had to answer last week was, why does that matter for me? That was 4,500 years ago, you know? And I'm living my life, Jason. Like, why should I care about a promise or a covenant that God made to a man 4,500 years ago? Well, it matters a whole lot. Because if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a part of Abraham's family. That's how the New Testament describes it. The Apostle Paul writing to non-Jewish people, which I think is probably most of us, non-Hebrew people, He said, and now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This is why it matters. Because the promise that God made to Abraham, he makes to you. That God is committed to you. That he is your God. And he's not committed to you because he just likes you or he's not committed to you because he just feels sorry for you. But he's committed to you because he promised he would be. He promised to be your God. He he promised to always be committed to you no matter what, even when you're not committed to him, which is a lot, me and you. He promises to be committed to us. And there's a difference between believing in God. I think all of us probably believe in God, but there's a difference between believing in God and having a God. (laughs) That's the difference. Lots of people believe in God, but if you put your faith in Jesus, you have a God. And he made a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever promise to be committed to you. He's your God. He's Jason's God, and Mark's God, and Andrea's God, and Katie's God, and Dakota's God, and Samantha's God. He's your God, and he is committed to you. It's a big deal. And so now we get to one of the more famous parts of the Exodus story, the burning bush. I'm willing to bet if you've never read the book of Exodus, you probably still know about Moses and the burning bush. It's pretty famous. And we didn't really say much about Moses last week, but uh, Moses was born during a time when Pharaoh uh, was killing all of the Hebrew baby boys. And so his mom made him a basket and hid him In the river, and actually, one of my favorite little random just facts, just nuggets that I loved, as I was studying for this series, is that the basket that um, that Moses's mom put him in—the Hebrew word for that that basket—is the same word that was used in Genesis for Noah's ark, and it's the only two places in the entire Bible where that word is used. So, quite literally, Noah had an ark to save you know, and repopulate the earth, and Moses had an ark. It was just a little baby ark because God had a plan to save his people. I just thought that was cool. No point in the sermon. Just thought that was random cool. Um, anyway, so uh, long story short, Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in Pharaoh's home. But one day when he was 40 years old, he saw the terrible treatment of his native Hebrew people, and he tried to help them And in the process, he killed an Egyptian soldier, thinking he was helping, but it made things worse. And he ended up running away as a fugitive. You fast forward another 40 years, and so Moses is 80 years old, and he's a shepherd working for his father-in-law when we get to the scripture that Jordan read for us today. We're gonna read just a a little bit of it again. But, But before we do read it again, I want you for just a moment... To put yourself in Moses' shoes. I think all of us can to some degree. I want you to imagine being raised in a home with privilege or being important or being told your whole life that you had some important purpose. Maybe you were a star athlete or you were really good at something and, you know, uh, people bragged on you for that. Maybe people had charted out the path of your life, you know, and big plans or something like that. But then, At some point in your life, you look up and you're not where you thought you would be. You know, it hasn't gone the way you thought it would go. It's actually gone way worse than you thought it would go. Imagine thinking that you were going to do something really amazing and really important and and you're, you're hiding as a fugitive, working one of the lowest level jobs that you could work. And I just wonder what Moses was thinking to himself. You know, the New Testament tells us in Hebrews that Moses knew from a young age that he was supposed to be the deliverer. So he knew, I mean, he heard about his potential, God's plan for his life, you know, and there's a blessing and a curse to that. Well, you know, when you, and my, my grandparents would say, you know, Jason, God's going to use you to change the world, which that's great, thank you, but like that also gives you a massive uh, insecurity complex when. You know, you're not even changing, you know, Auburndale, it feels like, you know. And so there's a blessing and a curse to that, to where it's like, when Moses looked in the mirror, I wonder what he thought about himself. I mean, he's spending days on end by himself with a bunch of sheep out in the desert. I wonder what kind of internal dialogue he's having. Think about that for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. How much insecurity, how much self-doubt? And here's what I know about you, not because I have some gift, but because I just were a room full of human beings. You have them too. You had plans, big dreams, the way you thought it would go, and then it didn't. And you have a lot of insecurity and a lot of self-doubt. You look in the mirror. You have a lot of internal dialogue. And what I love about this interaction between God and Moses is that it's a reminder that God doesn't give up on you. Wherever you are today, however different the path of your life has gone, God does not give up on you. No matter how ashamed you are, no matter how insecure you are or embarrassed or discredited you are, doesn't matter how bad the divorce was or the crime or the betrayal was, God still wants to meet with you. He still wants to talk with you. He still has a purpose for your life, no matter what. You know why? Because he's committed to you. One of my favorite pastors, preachers, uh, Charles Swindoll, quoting his favorite pastor preacher, said that the story of Moses can really be broken up into 40-year periods. First 40, middle 40, last 40, 120 years. And Swindoll was famous for quoting his, his mentor. And he said, you know, the first 40 years, Moses thought he was somebody. The second 40 years, Moses thought he was nobody. And the last 40 years, Moses figured out that God would use anybody. And I don't know how long your life's gonna go, probably not 120. But here's what I'm willing to bet. All of us have been humbled. All of us have been lowered. All of us have been let down, disappointed. And the pendulum swung probably the other way completely. And now what's the point? And who are we? And what could we do? And why would God care? I mean, my prayer, my hope is that you would realize that God hasn't given up on you. You've given up on yourself, but God hasn't. And my prayer is that you'll realize that God can use anybody, even you. And I've said it before, but it's worth saying again that the next time you believe that you've messed up too much for God, just remember that Moses killed a man and buried the body. So if you've never buried a body that you've murdered, there's a shot for you. If you have, come talk to me, okay? We need to... (laughs) Spend some time together in counsel, okay? But God is committed to you. So this brings us to this crucial conversation between God and Moses. And I don't know if you noticed it or not, but God said something really interesting to Moses. Maybe because we know the story before we read it, we miss it, but he said something really interesting in, in starting in verse seven, I just wanna read a few verses to you that Jordan read to us. But he said, but God said this, he said, Then the Lord told him, talking to Moses, I've currently, or I've certainly, excuse me, seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's the land for all the Izites. And then in verse nine, he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I've seen how harshly they are abused. And if we stop right there, we're fantastic. God says, I've come to deliver them, I'm going to do this, I've heard them, just giving you a heads up. But that's not what he says. In verse 10, God says, Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And again, we already know the story of Moses, so we knew this was coming, but just imagine for a moment you're there, you're talking to this burning bush, God is speaking, and he's just giving you updates and they sound fantastic. I've heard my people, I'm going to deliver them, I'm going to show my power. Moses is like, great. But God says, here's how I'm going to do it. You. I'm sending you. And what's crazy about this is that God didn't need Moses to do it. God could have done it himself. He could have killed all the Egyptians instantly, or he could have like made them blind and then told the Hebrew people to run, or he could have done any number of things to allow the people to leave. But he didn't do that then, and he doesn't do that now. For some reason, we cannot explain, God uses people. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I mean, he could certainly do a better job. Do you know who would be a better pastor of this church than me? God. I mean, he would be amazing. Sermons would be way better. The pastoral counseling and care would be out of this world. It would be, uh, it would be amazing. But for some reason, God said, "I want Jason, Katie, Joe. I want them to do it." That makes no sense because He could do it better. He could be more efficient, save time, money. But He uses people. He shows up to Moses and He says, "I." I'm going to do something really awesome, and I need you to go do it for me. We could say it like this, that when God wants to save people, he always sends a person. When God wants to save people, he always sends a person. I'd be willing to bet that if you were to think about how you ended up becoming a Christian, of course you would say that you know God was working behind the scenes because that's what he does, But what all of our stories would have in common for those of us who have become Christians is the name of a person. A person, you know why? Because when God wants to save people, he sends a person. You'd tell me about a coach or a teacher, or a parent, a pastor, a neighbor, a youth pastor, a bus driver. You would tell me about somebody that God used, whether they realized he was using them or not, to invite you or to talk to you or to encourage you over coffee or during a practice, someone who believed in you. And the reason that your salvation story would involve a person is because that's the way that God has always done it. And can I just encourage you to do something today? Maybe right now you're thinking of that person, you know, that whoever that was. If they're still alive, when you leave church today, would you reach out to them and just tell them? You know, my pastor was talking about people who were a part of me becoming a Christian and just tell them it'll mean the world just tell them hey you know when you invited me over to your house or when you encouraged me or when you whatever just come and if they're dead get a hold of their kids and tell them about their parents and what they did and it will mean the world because all of us underestimate how God uses us to reach people but here's what this also means that there are people in your life right now that God wants to save and he, he they need an exodus And God could do it without you, and you wish he would do it without you, but he won't. He won't. God wants to send you. I love the way A.W. Tozer says it. He says, God needs no one, but when faith is present, he works through anyone. That's good preaching right there. Now, as I say that, you are probably having this internal freak out a little bit. Because you've been in church long enough and sermons long enough to know that I'm going to drop the hammer on you in a few minutes <laughs> and challenge you to go to somebody, to allow God to use you in some way to reach somebody, to, to be someone's deliverer, if we want to use that phrase, that God would use you to help someone have an exodus. And right now, you're, your neck's getting red and, <clears throat> and you're, you're, you're getting dry in the throat because you're thinking, I'm awful at that. Let Allie do it. She's great. Let Dakota do it. He's good. I'm just going to attend and give offering and let other people do that, but that's not what God does. And if you're feeling that and you're thinking that, like, I can't do that. I'm the worst person that God could ever choose to do something like that. Then you can really relate to Moses because Moses is terrified at the thought of obeying God. This is one of the dumbest ideas God's ever had, according to Moses. And we don't have time to read it all. I mean, you know, we didn't. Jordan couldn't read all of it to us. But in chapters 3 and 4, in both chapters, Moses objects and begs God, please, God, I don't talk good. I don't think good. Nobody respects me. I can't do it. Please send someone else. And in their back and forth, Moses asks God three questions that we all ask. We ask them too whenever we think about God using us to reach someone, to help someone, to save someone. These are the same three questions that we all ask, that Moses asked when we're freaking out, thinking about God wanting to use us. Moses has has got three questions. The first question he said is, who am I? The second question he asked was, who are you? And the third question he asked was, what if they don't listen? And isn't that the question that we always want to know? Why me? Who am I? Am I sure this is God? And what if this blows up in my face, right? And so for the the, the few minutes that we have left here in this sermon, I want to just take a few minutes and answer these questions and see how God answered these questions For Moses and for you and for me the first question Moses asked God when he was terrified at the idea of being used by God was who am I who am I Moses is incredibly insecure about what God is asking him to do you can go read it man it's just my man is begging God anybody else he's so insecure but can I be honest with you as I was reading it and rereading it over the last several weeks it was kind of refreshing It's so anti-2022 that Moses, like, doesn't actually believe that he can do it, that he doesn't actually believe he has the answers. And listen, I'm not saying that God wants you to doubt yourself, but I have become exhausted with people who know everything or believe they need to speak about everything and then especially attach God's name to it. A little humility wouldn't hurt. I mean, you know, in the, in the day and age that we live, a little humility wouldn't hurt. Over the last four years, it seems like so many Christians have all the answers. You know, first, everyone was a political expert and knew what God wanted in elections. And then everyone was an expert sociologist about the protests and the riots. And then everyone were uh, epidemiologist experts with COVID. And then they were education experts with what our school system needed. And now they're economic experts with inflation. You got a friend like that? Got like seven degrees, you didn't even know they went to college. <laughs> Here's what I want to do. I want to teach you guys. Nobody's, I don't think anybody's ever probably taught you this, and it is life-changing. You may want to write it down, it's deep. Are you ready? I want to teach you a phrase. I want you to repeat after me because you need to memorize this phrase. Are you ready? Here we go. Memorize after me. This is gonna change your life. I, I don't. don't. Know. No. See? You should already feel better. I don't know. Hey, what do you think about so-and-so? I don't know. Let's say it one more time. I I don't know. know. Do you know how you don't know? Why you don't know? Because you're not supposed to know everything. I don't know. I'm going to teach you one more. This one's a little more complex. This is 201. I'm not qualified to answer that. I, I don't know. I'm not qualified to answer that. Here's what I know, being in charge is hard. Making decisions is hard. Here's what I know, good people gotta make tough decisions. I don't know. And what I love about this interaction with Moses and God is Moses didn't say, God, thank you for asking. Like I have already put together several proposals. (laughs) I actually have taken three courses on how to influence influencers. He doesn't say that. He says, (laughs) you couldn't have picked anyone worse for this assignment. I can't do it. I can't do it. But Moses was asking something deeper than, am I qualified? Or saying, I'm not qualified. What Moses was really asking was, why me? Why, Why me? And I love what God didn't say back to him. Because I want you to think for a moment what you would have said to Moses if he came to you and said, hey, God asked me to do this thing. It's really big. I don't think I'm the right person for what God's asking me to do. What do you think? You and I, because we're like in this affirmation, you know, culture, we'd be like, that's not true, Moses. You stop doubting yourself. You are the man for the job. You're, I mean, you're practically half Egyptian, half Hebrew. You're raising Pharaoh's home. I don't think God could have picked anybody better, Moses. And I want you to stop saying negative things to yourself. You're the man, Moses. People like you, Moses, okay? That's not what he said. God did not come back to Moses and say, hey, I'm tired of you being so negative because I picked you because you are the perfect person for the job. God felt no need to increase Moses' self-esteem. Instead, in chapter three, verse 12, God's answer to Moses when he says, why me? Or How, who am I? His answer? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. God felt no need to increase Moses' self-esteem. He just wanted Moses to have a greater sense of God's presence. And the same is true for you. You know that hard conversation you gotta have at work? You know the thing that you gotta like do with your kids that you're like, you don't know what you're gonna do or the, the, the thing you're having to manage in your life or whatever? Yes, you would feel better and your anxiety would go down if you felt more confident and qualified. But can I tell you what's better than that is in those moments when you're having to do that thing that you're terrified to do, if you will just take a moment and pause and stop and recognize I'm not alone. God is with me. I am terrified to have this conversation. I am terrified to approach that person. But you know what I need more than Carnegie's, you know, seven ways to have, make friends, you know? I need to be aware that right now, God is with me. He didn't send me to do this alone. He's with me. And so when God shows up and prompts you and and wants to send you and you don't think you can do it, the first thing he wants you to know is you're not alone. He's not sending you by yourself. But the second question that Moses asked God, after who am I, is he says to God, who are you? Which we think is a little odd because like we know who God is. We kind of live in this God saturated world. But remember, we're early on in the process here. And yes, there's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but there's hundreds of other gods in this pluralistic society, you know, God of water and fire and pregnancy and marriage and all this stuff, you know, crops and all this stuff. And so Moses is trying to figure out, like, you're obviously legitimate because you're an on-fire bush that's communicating with me. But what, because I'm going to go, God, and I'm going to tell these people that we're going to leave. And then I'm going to go to the most powerful man in the world, and I'm going to say, hey, you just need to let them go. And they're going to say, who says? What do I say? Who, 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 who am I talking to here? And in verse 14, Jordan read it to us. God replied to Moses and says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Which sounds so bold and amazing, but doesn't really answer the question it doesn't seem like. I mean, it does. But it doesn't. Because if he goes to the people and they say, like, who sent you? He says, I am. He's just a crazy man, right? He says, he says, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent, has sent me to you. And this statement by God is a statement deliberately designed to burst our definition We can't understand it because we normally say, I am something. I'm a dad or I'm a teacher or I'm lonely or I'm tall. But this this statement circles back on itself. And what God is saying is he's saying, you can't define me. I I am not defined by anything outside of myself, God is saying. I can't point to something and say I'm that because you can't define me. And the Hebrew translation of this is literally, I be who I be which I, I think is cool. I say it with an accent. Like a guy's like, i be who i be. But like, I, like God is, is saying to Moses, I'm gonna tell you, but you won't get it. Because you can't comprehend how great and how big I am. That's one thing that's happening. But there was something else really significant happening here. Because the place where God is speaking to Moses is Mount Sinai. This is the same mountain where God will meet with Moses and give him the Ten Commandments, where God, this mountain will shake with God's presence, and and Moses will be there. And this is a place where God and Moses will meet many times and have many powerful encounters. It's a very significant place. And in this moment, God does something for Moses that he has never done before. He didn't do it for Noah. He didn't do it for Abraham, for Isaac, or Jacob. He tells Moses his name. Look at it. He says, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for the first time in the entire Bible, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I have a name, and my name is Yahweh. I'm not just God, I'm Yahweh. Now, what's the point? The point is that Moses is entering into a personal relationship with God that we have never seen before. In Exodus thirty-three eleven, if I ever get a tattoo, this'll be it right here. It says that Moses talked to God face-to-face like you talk to a friend. And so God shows up to Moses and he says, I'm about to ask you to do something so big, so crazy, so insane, and I'm gonna let you get to know me in a way that no one has ever known me before. Moses says, who are you? And in essence, God says, I'm going to let you find out. I'm going to let you find out. If I could paraphrase this scene, I would say it like this, that God is not asking Moses to go to Egypt and quote his Wikipedia page or memorize definitions about him. He wants Moses to know who he really is. And he wants the same thing for you. That when it comes to the people in your life who need an exodus, do you know what they need more than information from you or more than facts and answers from you? They need to know that you really know who he is. You know what your kids need more than facts and, you know, uh, you know, morality and bedtime stories and all of those things, those things are great, but you know what they need more than any of that? They need to know that you really know who he is. So that when somebody says to you, who is God? Why should I care about God? It's not that you have the seven apologetic answers to defy any philosophy. It's that you just really know who he is. That the greatest, most convincing thing that Moses will have when he rolls into Egypt is a personal relationship with God. And so God says, or Moses says, you know, ask, who am I? And God says, I'll be with you. And then Moses says, who are you? And God says, I'm gonna tell you my name. But the last question that Moses asks God is probably the question that we care about the most. Moses says, what if I go and they don't listen? What What if I go to my neighbor's driveway when we're both pulling up our trash cans at the same time and I open my mouth and he says, you're insane. What if my boss is offended? What, what what if I try this and it blows up in my face? What if it doesn't work? What if they don't listen? And God gives a little bit lengthier response. He he gives Moses three miraculous signs. You know, uh, the, his, his, his walking stick turns into a snake. His hand g- gets sick and then gets well again. Blood turns into water. There's some exchanges there. And really what God's doing is, he, he, he's, you know, Moses is headed to Egypt where there's a lot of magic and, and things like that. And so God is giving Moses the opportunity to kind of show like, I can, I can hang, you know, I can hang. But something else, a little more important happens, significant. We didn't read it because we didn't have time, but it's in chapter four, verses 11 and 12. Moses says to God, what if this doesn't work? What if they don't listen? And God asks Moses a question. And this is what God asked. He said, "Who made a person's mouth? Who makes it? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord, now go? I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Moses is freaking out. He's like, "What if it doesn't work? What if they don't listen? What if I don't say it right? And all God wanted him to do was go. He's going to handle the rest. He's going to handle the rest. One of the hardest things to do when you, think people in your, when you think of people in your life who need an exodus, who need to know God, one of the hardest things to do is to not pre-decide for them. Oh, you don't know my boss. He would never want to be a Christian. You don't know my neighbor. They're crazy. You don't know my mother-in-law. You don't know. You don't know. I mean, they would never be interested in something like this. And we assume that they're never going to listen or that it won't won't work. This is what's happening to Moses. And God, again, God doesn't come back and appease all of Moses' anxiety. God doesn't come back to Moses and say, like, no, that's not true. They will listen to you, Moses. Actually, if you keep reading, God says, yeah, they're not going to listen. He, he, God says, doesn't say to Moses, like, listen, don't you worry about that. Don't be anxious about that. You're going to walk in, they're going to love you, throw you a parade, and it's all going to work out. God doesn't say that. Instead, God says, I made your mouth and I made their ears. That was his response. Moses is like, I I mean, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, God. I mean, this is crazy. And I'm just like, whatever. And God says, did I make your mouth? I did. Did I make their ears? I did. I'm gonna handle this. Just go. Just go. I just want you to go. And I don't know, as I've been talking, who comes to mind for you? You know, my prayer is that something would, someone would in your heart and your mind. Maybe it's your children, maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's your relatives, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your high school friends. But here's what I know. I know that there are people in your life that need an exodus. There are people in your life that need to know Jesus. There are people in your life that if we wanna use the language of exodus, they are enslaved. They are in bondage. They are trapped in a life that they do not want. And they are blessed and lucky enough by God to know you. And I know you don't think you're qualified, but he'll go with you. And I know you're like wondering, you know, is this really God? But as you get to know him, as you know him better and better, you're going to see more of what he wants to do for your life. And I know you're worried that it's not going to work out. and It's going to blow up in your face. He just wants you to go. He made your mouth. He made their ears. He will handle it. He just wants you to go. But we read one more passage of scripture today. Jordan read it for us out of Luke. And I'm not gonna read it all to you, but it just says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He's redeemed his people. He sent us a mighty savior, just as he promised he would. We're gonna be saved from our enemies by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore to Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies. And if you didn't know any better and you were reading this scripture that we read, you would think they're talking about Moses because God and his covenant has now sent this this deliverer to redeem his people from from this family. And just like he promised his would, like based on what we've been reading and knowing, if you just read this, you would think, oh yeah, this is talking about Moses and God sending Moses to deliver his people, but it's not. It's not about Moses at all. And it's not about the people in Exodus at all. It's about Jesus. It's about you. That you needed an Exodus. That you needed to get out. And whenever God wants to save people, He always sends a person. And he sent Jesus Christ. Because you needed a deliverer. Couldn't get yourself out. You were enslaved and trapped in a life that you did not want to have. And God sent a person in Jesus Christ. So in just a moment, when I pray, you're gonna have the opportunity to take communion. And when you do that, you take that bread and you dip it in that juice I I, I want you to remember that God sent a person because he wanted to save you so he sent a person in Jesus Christ and after you take communion there would be an opportunity to pray but you can go back to your seats you're gonna have a few moments there and here's what I would love for you to do in those few moments is I would love for you just between you and God I would love for you and God to have a conversation a little burning bush moment for you maybe you want to take off your shoes because you're on holy ground And just have a little conversation with God. And just ask God, God, where do you want me to go? Who are you sending me to? And see what he says. See what name comes to mind. See what person comes to your heart. And when you start freaking out and breathing heavy and your neck starts breaking out, just remember, he is going with you. He's gone before you just wants you to go. He wants to send you. So let's pray. God, thank you that you sent a person in Jesus Christ to get us out. We were enslaved to sin, trapped in a miserable life and a miserable existence crying out for someone to help us. And you heard our cry and you promised to be committed to us and you sent us a deliverer in Jesus Christ. So God, thank you for getting us out. And God, I pray that as we take this bread and this juice and as we sing these songs to you, God, I pray that you would put a burden on our hearts for someone else who needs to get out. You want to send us i pray god you would give us the courage to leave here today and to go to them in jesus name we pray